coming up on this episode? Well, my dad, I mean, oversimplified everything, but he, he basically says 90.9% of all the things you worry about never happen. And then he says, and when you get that other percent that does happen, um, you know, God's there to help you out anyway. So you're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of the Pursuit of Purpose. My name is Chris Kiefer. You can find clips to the episodes, this one and other ones, on Instagram. Uh, you can also visit the website chriskiefer.net to see some blogs and other articles, all the podcast episodes, uh, the show notes and whatnot. Uh, but on today's episode, I have Mark Richards, who is the Chief Revenue Officer of Nintex. They are an automated workflow company, meaning that they take processes that companies around the world use and they automate those into workflows. Uh, some of Nintex's clients include some of the biggest brands in the world, including Amazon, Toyota, Microsoft, Uber, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, among others. Quick background on Mark. Uh, he has been in the sales world since college. Uh, he started selling uh, actually door-to-door sales with a company selling rainbow vacuums when he was in college. And then he moved into the technology industry in the early 80s and has been in that space since. He started working for a hardware company and then made a shift in the early 90s to the software side of the tech world. Uh, worked for two companies, Morant and another one called Web Trends that ended up going public. And then his longest stay was at Semantic, which you guys are probably familiar with, the web security and software company. Um, and there he was the VP of mid-market sales. And then in 2013, he took the role of CEO for a company called Event Builder that was in the process of shifting from a service-based company to a software-based company. And then finally, he found uh, Nintex about three and a half years ago, and he joined their team as their chief revenue officer, and he has been there since. So he's someone that I have turned to in the past a handful of times for wisdom and advice and whatnot, but I'm very excited to share uh, our conversation that we had with you guys. Uh, so let's jump into this interview. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thank you for having me. So CRO, uh, for those of us that are not in the um, business or executive world, what does that mean, both in just title, and then what do you actually do on a daily basis for Nintex? Right. <clears throat> it kind of means that executives these days get a little bored and they kind of up, come up with new titles. But, um, you know, the C is all the rage now. So it basically in the old days, this would be the, uh, you know, the senior vice president of worldwide sales. Today it stands for chief revenue officer. Uh, but in a way, I guess it's appropriate since um, it's not just uh, one line of sales. It's uh, also all aspects that come in through, whether it's e-commerce or whether it's uh, renewals or actually new, what we call new licensing. Those are all forms of revenue. So I'm the uh, person who's responsible for the worldwide revenue. So one of the first things that I'm really interested in um, having you discuss or talk about is um your purpose. So I don't know, I think you might call it your personal mission statement or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I remember when I met with you, uh, I don't know, four years ago or something, maybe five years ago, you had mentioned this and then at least at the time you had it on like a laminated front mm -hmm. and back Still piece do. of paper. Do you know what mm -hmm. I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. I do. So tell me, tell me about that and, and 
what your mission or mission statement is. Mm-hmm. So, so rather than calling it a mission from uh, my, you know, strengths and weaknesses charts, uh, one of the things is, 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 you know, I needed to create uh, a skill set and uh, really start to work on things around um, um, focus and uh, and also, you know, some things that were actually more uh, of a day in a life plan. And so um, as I went through my career, I found myself struggling to try to boil the ocean, too many things going on, trying to take on too much and arguably calendaring and, and kind of staying on task and, and allowing things to fall off. Uh, we're definitely an area where I would call it, you know, if the term these days is, is if, if it's a fatal flaw, you want to address it. If not, you want to just build on your strengths in your strengths finder kind of way. Well, I had a fatal flaw and that was, you know, lack of focus in some cases, taking on too much and not necessarily staying organized enough. So if I were to look at what I started to do from a life planning perspective, I adopted a methodology called um, a victory plan. And it was a concept uh, from a consultant at one point in time that was focused uh, 100% on businesses, you know, but really trying to drive a, a top-down, bottom-up way where you're going to co- connect the hearts and minds of everybody in an organization, tie it out to an actual plan, and make sure that it was all connected uh, to ways in which you could audit that plan and measure that you're all on the same page. So literally in organizations that scale quite rapidly or even large organizations, it was really a way to keep everybody uh, in alignment on the overall corporate goals and focus. So, but I, I looked at that and thought, wow, I mean, it doesn't seem too far off the mark as far as what it would be necessary for me to kind of keep my life in order as it relates to priorities, because, you know, one of the things when you get into these roles and you, you start firing in all cylinders and you have kids and family and, you know, and for me, you know, one of the pieces you come up the top is you call out what is your, your focus and what is the number one thing you try to keep in alignment, you know, in your mind every day when you get up in the morning. And uh, mine I chose uh, was uh, people, uh, people matter most. And so, that's kind of, if you would call it a mission, um, you know, that's the top that I try to centralize everything that I approach from a business, from, you know, personal, um, it all rolls up to the, the thought process that allows me to say people matter most. And so that's, that's basically the center, you know, centering piece of the document. And um, the other pieces is within that, you've got your personal life and you've got your professional life. And I try to take, uh, as you mentioned, I have a laminated piece or, or whatever. I try to get it down to front and back for, uh, you know, from the standpoint of professional and, and personal. But, you know, it's it's your life goals and they can be adjusted, of course. But then the main piece, once you've done what I call a victory plan, is uh, is less about what the goals are and more about how you're auditing them. Um, and, and because goals and, you know, aspirations, life changes, you know, they occur. And, and the real answer is, am I walking the walk? Am I holding myself accountable? Do I have something that's measurable rather than just uh, kind of, you know, pie in the eye, hopeful, you know, from a, from a strategy standpoint. So mm-hmm. really I use this, this particular technique called a, 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 vector, a victory plan, but really all it is is setting down something visible that you passionately believe in that you will check in on, um, you know, daily and try to make sure that as you look at it, you've associated something to it that says you're holding yourself accountable and there's something measurable. So, and then mm. we use that in business as, as well. How often have you updated it or changed it significantly? Significantly, uh, I have to admit, I haven't significantly changed the document for probably um, in the early days, quite often, to be honest with you. But within the last uh, probably five years, I don't think I have 
materially changed other than, you know, different company names and, and maybe some different goals within those companies. I haven't materially changed the actual overall, uh, you know, victory plan in, in at least five years. Right, right. Okay. And I'm curious, one of the things you mentioned that I want to go back to, which I think is something that I'm working through or trying to deal with in my own life, when you were talking about f- like strengths and weaknesses, um, you said something that I think is interesting. If you have a fatal flaw, you obviously need to address it. Otherwise, you should build on to your already determined strengths. Um, yeah. Do you dive yeah. into that a little bit more? Well, in the early career days, you would have lots of, and I, I work for uh, sort of, uh, organized you know, trainings and different uh, executive development courses, those types of things. <clears throat> and all the rage in the early days was to take these assessments and then you'd find your weaknesses and you began to kind of invest in those and get after them and, 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 and try to see if you can uh, arguably change, you know, some of the DNA that, uh, that may or may not be, uh, uh, you know, God given. <laughs> and uh, in many cases, um, <laughs> that was uh, a, a daunting task in some cases, a defocusing task in, uh, in others. Uh, I think at best you had a, a, maybe a slight, you know, listing in the areas where you were really deficient. Uh, but in reality, as time went on and, and, and people got better and the, you know, the people who are out there trying to do, you know, corporate development and development of people and the different um, expertise out there, they started to recognize that from a lift and from an ability for people to get better and to provide value to, you know, not only themselves, but their organizations, there was this thing called strengths finders that kind of pivoted the whole thought process. Not sure exactly when it took place, but for me, it was probably uh, mid-semantic when I went through the Strengths Finders uh, series. It was, you know, kind of an executive out course for about, it was uh, many sessions over about a two and a half year period. But Strength Finders kind of changed the paradigm and said, we want to do the test to find your strengths. And then we want to find ways to double down on those strengths because a strength you know, that you can leverage far out seeds, anything you can try to correct from something that, that is difficult for you to do, or you're not wired that way, or you don't think that way. Um, there's, you know, the studies out there called the seven intelligences, which they've expanded now, and I don't know them all, but it's just a way that you're kind of wired. Uh, my bride being a teacher, they, they leverage the seven intelligences to make sure they're aligning their teaching methodologies to students. So that in the way they, in the way they best receive information, whether you're a kinesthetic learner, or are you a visual learner, mm. or are you a, you know, and, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of a fascinating thought process, but it's the same thing as far as whatever your strengths are, if you could leverage those in ways from a business aspect or a personal aspect, uh, you're far better off than trying to, you know, uh, focus all your energies on weaknesses that might be kind of hardwired in you. Now, the exception, as you mentioned, was if you have what they call a fatal flaw, meaning it's something you've just got to address, um, you know, because it, if, if it's not addressed in at least a way that gets a passing grade, then anything you do from a strength would be offset by the fact that you have this fatal flaw. So identifying those, addressing those um, uh, is, is, is important as well. So that's what that was all about. And so this, the strengths and weaknesses is something that I feel like it, there's a piece of it that all comes down to self-awareness and just being uh, uh-huh. very in tune with what your true strengths and your actual weaknesses are. Um, and one of the things recently uh, that I was in a conversation with like, you know, pursuing an opportunity in business. And, um, th- basically I was told that I was 
they they the other members on the team said that I was too aggressive um and the and the person that I had been doing most of the discussing with personally he said you know you remind me of me I I think that this is uh, you know, there's maybe some, like I was moving too quickly with my proposals and whatnot. Anyways, the, from my perspective, um, the too aggressive, uh, was a weakness of a characteristic of mine, which I feel like has gotten me to where I am, which is more of like the entrepreneurial uh, side. But at the same, I don't know if you're following me on this, but at the same time, I I want to, I wanted to make sure that I was, uh, listening, like, okay, mm-hmm. someone thinks I'm too aggressive. And basically what I take that is like, or the, what they were interpreting was me not taking no for an answer and, you know, coming back and presenting a different option and trying different solutions and trying to solve the, the, um, problem that they had, exactly. which they, you know, they didn't want, so or they didn't like my tactics or whatever. It's a perfect example of, of, of just a perspective. Now, the, no, A, you, you talked about you know, self-awareness and what, that, that, what role that is. And, and if I would take you through the you know, 40 years of, quote, unquote, my career, um, there's various levels of awareness that you, know, you become you know, uh, cognizant of, and it's a maturity level. And for me, I felt like I, I matured at a very slow pace and, you know, and still working on that. But, <laughs> but in the early days... It's you know take no 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 prisoners and uh, ego driven um, you know very very selfish that type of thing that and that propelled you know to a certain altitude to certain directions but presented some you know significance of fatal flaws if you will but if you take your example it is an exact uh, uh, reason why the strength finders has been so successful because your self reflection which is a sign of maturity on what it is that actually is occurring because there is an identification to a profile out there. Let's take the one example you gave successful people, you know, can oftentimes be perceived as pushy or, or, you know, whatever, whatever came across to this, this, this panel of interviewers. But, but in reality, what strength finders is, is it's very clearly associates that strength and then begins to give you opportunities or, or ways or off ramps or whatever it may take, not to fix it as a weakness, but to leverage it as a strength. And sometimes leveraging that particular kind of example of, of strength is just ways to position the communications that will allow it to continue to be a strength rather than a weakness. Okay. Um, and so it really, it may, may be just another way of saying, you know, you, you got to figure out how to communicate, you know, um, the get it done attitude in, in a softer manner, don't know. But, but in reality, it is really a, a whole cultural way of thinking, meaning you're not there to fix uh, um, what you perceive to be a reason why you don't get a job or an opportunity or whatever. You're there to leverage it so that that uh, that that continues to have better shots at, at at being able to leverage that strength to produce the result you want. Right, right, yeah. Because I was going to say the um, when I heard that, I was like um, devastated initially, just kind of like confused. But then I also went through like being very frustrated, and then trying to you know as time went on, thinking was this just. Um, well, first of all, is this, does it keep happening, you know, or is this a one-off incident? And then on top of that, my a question I have is when you, you're receiving feedback, sometimes it's like directly when someone says, I think you're a jerk, you know, um, and that's directly giving you a characteristic, but other times it's just a result 
that um, could have been affected by a number of factors, some of which could have been your characteristics or strengths or weaknesses or whatever. But how do you know who to listen to uh, when they're giving you that sort of feedback on like, I think you are X or whatever, and you have to decide, um, do I, do I, is this person's opinion of me something that I should take into consideration and change about myself? Or do you just kind of mm-hmm. acknowledge it? You know what I mean? No, I do. I do. My philosophy comes from my dad and that is there's no such thing as bad feedback. Okay. Um, what, what is, you know, what, what, what he would, uh, you know, call out though, is it's how you, you know, receive the feedback, how you listen to the feedback and how you sort through the discerning process of value that is, that is critical. Okay. But dismissive feedback, it can be very dangerous because you could be dismissing for the wrong reasons. You could be dismissing because you don't like the person's character background. And therefore from anything they say from, you know, the in and on, you've already dismissed it. You're not listening. You're not taking whatever you can out of it. Okay. The other side of it is if you take everything verbatim, then as you mentioned, you know, somebody calls you a jerk and, and uh, gee, that's just not all that valuable, um, you know, but, uh, you know, so, <laughs> but, but in reality, the risk typically is more when you become, um, you know, um, I, the, the term is a little bit blunt, but I mean, if you become arrogant enough to believe that you're the judge and, and prosecutor on all feedback, uh, as opposed to really being discerning, um, it's it's like in, in in biblical terms, you know, humility is is definitely, uh, you know, at the top of of traits uh, as it relates to you know how God looks at at, at our ability to be wise and, and discerning, and humility requires you to be able to take all feedback and then put it through the proper uh, lens. Uh, in many cases, it's a quick lens if they're just going to say you're a jerk, but um, it is it is really a, a characteristic of humility. And the other piece is. You know, as you were talking about, when you go through these processes and you get feedback and you find that you were kind of maybe somewhere along your journey, you got disconnected because you thought you were driving something and that what came back was something different. Uh, that also has a tendency to be associated with, you know, humility or listening, uh, because, um, you know, one of the pieces I would still say, regardless of what your strengths are, Everybody has to be um, a cognizant of how much they're listening versus how much they're talking. And to me, the term we used in sales, you know, it's a PCSS, which is the Xerox foundation of the world. I mean, every sales training you go out there has some foundation, uh, at least latter-day sales is in, in the, the Xerox methodology. But their term used to be a line and raise, kind of a visual they used with an elevator. And, uh, you know, you're always checking in and listening, but you would align with your, 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 whoever you're talking to and you'd have your conversations and, and then you'd have your questions to see whether or not you were on the same floor. And if they were not, then you needed to drop the elevator and and realign until you could start moving up again. And so as many times as Mm. it requires to align and raise, and at least at the end, you, you, you typically will know where you are. You won't have the surprise of, uh, I came across that way. You know, and so that's kind of a technique that, you know, we used to use in the early days of sales and it was called aligning and raising. But again, it's just no other word other than being self-aware and being a great listener. Mm, I like that. That's good. One thing as far as uh, strengths for that I have noticed, and I think I've, I've mentioned this to you before, but 
the this is like the the one story about Mark Richards that more people in my life know than anything else. And that is, uh, then I don't necessarily say you cause they don't know who you are, but I just use this example of, I think it was when you were at event builder. Um, I, you, and I can't remember what it was for just career advice or something, but you said, Hey, come by my office and you know, I'm, I'm happy to get lunch or chat or whatever. And I remember, uh, get, getting there and you were finishing up some other stuff. So someone else came out and said, Hey, it's going to be another 15 minutes or something. And which is, you know, nothing new that happens all the time with meetings running over. But I knew that there was just a lot of stuff going on in your office and you obviously were very busy. Um, and this, you know, trying to squeeze me in, I just felt like, wow, this is like, I, I don't even know if I have anything uh, that is worth the time to meet with you because I just appreciated that. But the thing that was crazy to me is that once I got into your office, you like said, hold on just a second and basically cleared off your desk. And then there was no, you had like that L shaped desk. So one side of it was, there was nothing on it and you were just looking and all of your attention was focused on me and listening to whatever it was that we ended up talking about. And I'm curious yeah, if that's yeah. something that, um, cause I, I feel like there's two things. Some people that I've actually had meetings with that obviously were busy, um, would have maybe tried to jump into a meeting that they weren't quite prepared for. Um, which is not what you did. You, you know, wrapped everything else up so that you could be focused. And then other times I've been in meetings where, um, people are just, you know, you can tell that, uh, they their mind is in another place or they're thinking of other things on their to-do list. Um, but I didn't get that sense from talking to you. And I'm curious if that's something that you intentionally work on, or if you were like naturally good at that, or if you remember times being like when you get called out and all of a sudden you are like, Oh crap, I really need to, to pay attention. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it is. I mean, you, you back into a, bunch of stuff in life um you know that that actually reinforces itself till you finally get in, in, into something you can control from a routine perspective and as i mentioned my challenge was always you know kind of a focus piece and and um, you know trying to do too much and um, you know really trying to maximize time and the efforts of maximizing time you know you often do multitasking things that actually cost you time you know and mm. so prioritization and there you know time is money and all those things and everything else I needed to boil it down and over time I've tried to refine this. So I have, as you mentioned there, you know, you, you try to keep focal points in your life and you try to center yourself as many times as you possibly can in, in, in any given day for me anyway. And so mine, you know, my overall messaging is, you know, people matter most and it's a sound bite, but then you associate your behaviors. You try to get in the habit of saying, as you're doing things, small sometimes, but larger than others, <clears throat> are you really intentionally looking at it from a perspective that people matter most? Okay. So if that's the resonating factor, that's great. Then underneath that, I needed help. So my, my other mantra is focus precedes success. Meaning for me, it doesn't matter. You know, uh, at all times I need to be thinking, am I focused? Okay. It could be associated with a business plan. It could be a focus, focused on you know, what I am doing as it relates to, uh, going to a, you know, to a, to a meeting on what I'm trying to achieve or whatever. But in reality, that focus can be all the way down to the very tactical piece 
is, you know, as you mentioned, am I focused on leveraging the time I have? And at any time, am I focused on what it is that, that the intent is? And so I found that I was, you know, regardless, um, you know, it was a huge challenge for me to stay focused. And so trying to create those little, you know, checkpoints and everything else, because really, you know, from, from time, anything, any, any guys that you go out there, you have respect for, let's see that achieve things, whether you respect them or don't respect them. One thing you will notice that they have in common, if they're successful as it relates to what they're trying to achieve business wise is they value time. Okay. And if they give you a piece of time, some will handle it graciously and others will be very blunt. But if you come in and you've got an appointment, let's say, and you've, so, you know, you've basically secured their time to your point and you come in they will give you that photo. If they're good, they will absolutely focus on you. But in some cases, you darn well better not waste their time. Mm. <laughs> you know, so so it's an interesting double-edged sword. But, you know, it absolutely is critical that if I say I'm going to commit time, which is which is critical, then I need to make sure I'm present. And that, that fits into people matter most because they do. I need to be respectful and you know, respect your time. It's not just about my time. It's about your time. And so that respect means people matter most. Second, I need to be focused, which is another one of my mantras. And then you need to do the right thing right. So the last piece of it is, the, you know, is one that I've been working on for about the last 15 years. There's always a very clear right thing, in my opinion. But doing the right thing right has always been something that I was challenged on and actually had been called out on in certain cases. And so it really helped me to say that's a little saying that helps me to kind of double check this fact that something may be obviously right, but the ways in which you do things may not obviously be the right way to do them. You know, so if you say, all right, people matter most, I have a dedicated time, therefore I'm going to listen and I'm going to stay focused. But in reality, you're focusing and you're putting on the perception and you're doing the right thing right in that sense, but you're not necessarily listening for intent or you're engaged and you're wandering and whatever else you still might look to you like you're, you know, like I could have perceptively looked like I had, you know, locked and loaded, closed out everything. It was like, but but you would never know if I was doing the right thing right. So that's an internal check on my part. Um, mm. That's just a tactical example of what I'm saying. But there's specific areas where, you know, I can go down the list of large business decisions, personal decisions, and everything else where, you know, you can do the right thing, but you may not do it right. Do you have an example of when you mentioned you've gotten called out on this? Sure. Sure. So, like, here's a career one I thought it was fascinating. I I have a mentor by the name of Mark Reed, but I was making career decisions and I'd been tapped on the shoulder by a startup that was kind of rocket shipping and uh, as a company called Webtrends, as I mentioned earlier, um, and early adopters of, of trying to get out there and, and, and manage web content. And uh, hot, hot place would have been a great place to be, kind of no-brainer for people who are climbing careers. But um, the individuals that founded it, and um, you know, in my opinion, and by the way, it's just my opinion, you know, kind of maybe were not on the same page as I was as far as my walk uh, in life. And so, therefore, I kind of deemed uh, myself a little bit holier than thou, and that that would not necessarily be an environment that that I felt like I was, you know, you know, in the same culture and that kind of thing. Well, I had this gentleman who I did respect, Mark Reed, who actually went over there to consult and called me in to discuss my opportunity there. And he went through the whole thing. And at the end, I just kind of transparently told him I didn't think it was the kind of, you know, company I wanted to work for based on the leaders and everything else. 
And so, you know, here I am playing the I'm doing the right thing card. And what he did is he looked at me very seriously and said, well, that's that's very interesting. So what you want to do is you want to be a part of a culture. You don't want to be part of changing one. And you've chosen not to make a difference, but to try and ride where where you know, you where you're hanging out with like minded people rather than trying to move in a direction that makes a difference. <laughs> and that would be an example of the difference between doing the right thing by saying, I don't want to validate a culture that isn't necessarily tasteful to me. Uh, but doing the right thing right would mean you go in there and you try to make an effort to change it and move, uh, make a difference, um, kind of move the needle in the world. Mm. So I thought that was a great example of it. And that's uh, a good way to, um, I mean, and take calling someone out, I think it takes a lot of wisdom and tactfulness in, uh, and, a, and a rapport generally to, uh, to be able to say something like that. Cause I'm sure some other people could have said the same thing to you and, uh, you probably wouldn't have taken it the same way that you did when he said it. You know, and, and, you know, the many lessons, you know, we all find mentors throughout our lives and there's not, you know, some people are blessed, I guess, to have one centralized one. I mean, I've had many people throughout my career that I've looked up to and have taken pieces from, but part of it also is, is making sure that anytime you find these mentors that you just, you make sure you put the human touch in there and say that, that, uh, you know, they're not perfect, of course, you know, and so you, you try and, you know, emulate the best you can, you know, the things that, that you're hearing, but I think it's critical, you know, you've asked in the past, you know, where do you go for, you know, wise counsel and mentorship? Um, I, I think, you know, trying not to limit those, those uh, pools you fish for wisdom from uh, is, is also something I think is really critical. Always be hungry. Uh, for you know wisdom, and it seems to me like that's kind of what you're trying to do with these you know, particular interviews. But um, yeah, there's no one source fountain of truth, so I think that's a clear, wise you know counsel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because people ask me, so I I should probably talk about it more on the podcast. But the main reason, and even you said, what's the goal? Real, really, for me and the podcast is. I really, one of the things that I really enjoy is deeper, more meaningful conversation, which typically doesn't happen in everyday life, um, with, or at least in the business setting. Um, so anyways, the podcast is an excuse for me to, um, talk to people, record the conversation and hope that, you know, someone else may find value in it. But, um, yeah, I just, I love, uh, stretching. I I love thinking more deeply about, how I can become a better person by talking to people that I think are better people <laughs> or good, <laughs> successful in their, in their own realm. Whatever or at least, is. or at least have, you know, uh, something that they may be able to share. I don't certainly is not a hierarchy of better or worse. It's, it's, uh, it's just a uh, collective wisdom. Yep. Experience, maybe learning from a mistake. So right. I don't have to uh, make the same one. Maybe. Yep. Yep, or maybe I'll not as many what, times. <laughs> there would be another piece that I would, you know, very much agree with you on is that, at least in my career, um, it's probably, I don't know, I've never really done the math, but it's a 90-10 rule, probably 90% of what I feel like I'm doing better on or, or become more successful pieces of what I consider to be either personal or professional have come from mistakes, and 10% is because I did it right out of the mm. shoots, so... True. Um, as far as going into another thing that is, um, I always, or I've heard a number of stories, uh, both from you and then, um, 
other people that know you, but you've been through some uh, more, I mean, I feel like we all have difficult times. I'm not saying this in like to say, oh my gosh, you've been through just so much, which um, may make you uncomfortable. I'm <laughs> just, but more from the perspective of like, you've, you've faced challenges and from my perception, you've um, chosen, and maybe this goes back to your doing the right thing the right way mantra, um, but you've you've navigated them differently than I think other people would have. And one of the first ones I can think of, and I don't know if you can think of other ones besides this, um, but the semantic, uh, when you were at semantic, apparently there was, I guess I'll just let you get into, there was layoffs mm -hmm. or downsizing or something, and how did you deal with that? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, again, I, I think interestingly, you know, the stories take on different dynamics um, as as they get older and as age and as as um, you know, I guess history starts to unfold. So that's interesting because there was a time where I would have declared something to be the right way, and, and in hindsight, I would say I still didn't get it right. So, I mean, example on the semantic one, you know, might have been when we had a. Uh, decision to you know to close a particular office which impacted a significant number of employees and i was of the belief that not only was that the wrong thing to do uh, but that, that you know from a financial or from a business standpoint but obviously i had a big issue with the you know the way in which that would impact the people so first of all um i i went at it from a standpoint of making sure that i attacked it you know what i consider to be to keep the company completely informed of the ramifications of the decision. So I, you know, I think this is still correct. I think it's my responsibility in, in a company as an executive to make sure I'm pre presenting, you know, an argument that is cohesive and, 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 you know, coherent and, and actually brings up good business points so that they have information, you know, as they make decisions like reduction of forces or reducing, you know, footprint of people in locations or any of those types of things are pretty important. So it is my responsibility to make sure they have good data to make good decisions. So that part, I still think I did correctly. Once I recognized that, that my decision was still not going to be the one that was going to, to be um, evoked and they were going to move in a different direction. I continued to try to press too long. So in my opinion, um, I was doing nobody uh, any favors by kind of living in a denial world as opposed to moving forward to make sure that whatever decision, this is what we call the northbound train, but I mean, where I wouldn't want my people when I make a decision who work for me to continue to battle something that's already been decided. So that is, you know, the classic get on with it, you know, make sure that once the decisions, you know, have all the input in the world before the decision is made, but once the decision is made, you need to get on board and execute, you know, as one team. I feel like um, I didn't do that. I didn't accept the decision well enough. Um, felt like I was still standing on righteous grounds, and uh, that was uh, was not necessarily doing the right thing right. Now, some people thought, "Wow, look at he—he's fighting the corporate," um, and they gave me a lot of credit for standing up to the man or whatever it was. Don't know, uh, but again, I feel like that was selfish and uh, arrogant on my part, and necessarily wasn't doing the right thing right. Then the second piece was, as I looked at it, once a decision was made and they were going down that jurisdiction, I finally got to a point where I had to accept that part of it. I began the process of making sure that as I was doing this, that I was out you know, finding these people jobs and finding the places to go. Um, had I, you know, maybe, uh, you know, been more transparent about the process and, and not necessarily elected myself their spokesperson to try to save them, I think there may have been a lot um, 
uh, the folks that I was defending or trying to you know, make sure they had roles and responsibilities uh, to to go off and start their next generation career sooner and uh, probably in a, in, a, in a more proactive manner on their own so they could take full ownership. Um, I felt like, um, you know, in hindsight, um, I was playing, you know, my term, but playing a little too much God and thinking I was overly, you know, responsible for taking care of them as opposed to what, what a father ought to do in his own family as well is make sure that, you know, you protect them in one aspect, but make sure that, that they are taking on the responsibility to take care of themselves so that they can scale in ways that are much more healthy and sustainable. And uh, so, I mean, I, I know the story that, that most people tell, or maybe the one you've heard, or maybe I told you, um, that I, I went at it from an aspect where, and, and I, I was pretty proud of the fact that I had placed everybody by the end of it. But, you know, in hindsight, I'm not so sure I did everybody a wonderful favor. Some cases, I think it was okay. But that's an example of how even history, over time, you start to look back and you start to recognize that some of the wisdom of what you thought you were doing still isn't quite dialed into doing it right. So I'm mm. always learning uh, forward and backward. That's super interesting. And I definitely have not heard you describe it from that perspective. But that's a, that's a very interesting thing to... Um, I guess I'm trying to reflect back on times of, uh, usually it involves, um, letting people go or whatnot. Um, but, have a lot of those. Have but a lot in of general, examples. just in whenever you are confronted with a decision or something that involves other people, uh, there's at least, I feel like oftentimes I, um, uh, I want to help them or, um, do more for them than I probably need to. Mm -hmm. And it ends up just hurting them in the long run, mm -hmm. whether or not they or I realize it. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a form of enablement that ends up um, not helping anyone. And obviously when you're enabling somebody, they're obviously not doing what you want and, 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 and you're allowing them to atrophy their own muscles. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to discern that. I mean, you know, I always talk to my, my bride, Julie, and I talk about this often. I mean, there's examples that were just, I mean, just horrible, you know, separations and, you know, and firings and things like that in my early career um, that I might have done better than I did in my latter career because something I cherish is some of those people, you know, that I was maybe a little less, um, you know, hypersensitive um, to or, or felt like I was responsible for making sure I nurtured them or whatever have come back and are probably my more valuable feedback for in order, you know, not for my ego, but for the fact that I did the right thing, right. Where they said back, you know, and some of them were nice and saying, thank you. And others would say, you jerk. I went on to be wonderful and you, you suck. Uh, but both cases were you know, kind of validation that, you know, I did the right thing. Um, in, in some cases, not for my own ego, because one of them saying, hey, I'm now vice president of something that's in a different walk of life, and I wouldn't have had it if you weren't such a jerk. But it's still it's still validation <laughs> that the right thing is there, you know. And, and then there's others uh, that, that say, hey, you changed my life. And these are the ones we love. You know, they send you the notes that say, you changed my life. You know, you had this word of wisdom. I, I latch onto this. To this day, I still say, focus proceeds to say, you know, whatever. And and those are the ones that you, know, you love because it builds your ego and you feel like you're making a difference. But quite frankly, the ones that, that actually, you know, either A, you know, you, you just got them in the right place, you know, for your own selfish reasons or whatever, but they go off and do their, you know, what they need to be doing. Theoretically, is probably more impactful uh, than the ones that just want to tell you that, you know, you gave them a couple good sound bites. But anyway, so it's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, yeah.
So the the other one that, um, but what I remember during the event builder, between the event builder and Nintex, um, you were looking at a number of opportunities because at the time, event builder, you guys had determined that it was, I don't, did you guys end up selling any of it? A variety of things. Yeah, we sold pieces. We, uh, um, you, know, the, you know, parted it out, to be honest with you, sold sold you know, intellectual property in different directions. Okay. And then, so at you, at this time you were realizing that you obviously needed to find a new career. Mm -hmm. Um, can you talk about, and I'm imagining that this probably impacted some more difficult times in with your family as well. And thinking about retirement and everything while you were looking for a new job. And if I remember correctly, there were a number of opportunities that you were really hopeful and excited about that ended up not panning out. And then you eventually ended up finding Nintex, but I don't know what, I don't know if yeah. there's any nuggets or things that you found <clears throat> valuable in that experience. Well, I'm still sorting through some of them, but I mean, again, from a, from an event builder perspective, uh, coming off, you know, a good 12 years uh, in a large organization and, Felt like the experiences I could, uh, uh, you know, have gained could help out and, and drive a, you know, a, a smaller business. But what was more attractive to me about the event middle opportunity was it was an opportunity to go into a, an environment and in, in a, a faith-based environment and try to, to try to create a, a a kind of a motion that actually supported both aspects of what I was passionate about, which is, you know, you know, faith incorporated into businesses. I mean, there were along my journey. There's been some challenging times and we actually got relative created sometimes to bring God in into the uh, workplace environment without, you know, offending and, and, and going against the, uh, the HR or the PC, you know, norms. Um, one of which is, you know, that gentleman I talked about, Mark Reed, who is a uh, professional consultant. Actually, he went on to be the CEO of several companies locally. You would have known Ethics Point and Navex Global and everything else. He took them public and did a couple of things, ran it in focus, did, but he's quite, quite accomplished. But anyway, he, he was a consultant that came in to do um, consulting for us from a leadership standpoint. And uh, we used, uh, you know, our servant leadership is, is uh, you know, Jesus, you know, is another term for Jesus methodology. And so we, his, uh, you know, teachings were around, you know, servant leadership, which is absolutely to this core to how I drive you know, what I consider the leadership of my teams, you know, and brought him in. And, and that was to the objections of our company uh, at Semantic, at, who, who called out. You know, this is something that, you know, we separate and we can't do this. We can't, you know, support this. We won't pay the fee or whatever it was. And, but we came back and got, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, you know, a lockdown on, on what it is we were doing and provided references. And so just like anything else, you, you just reference different pieces of where you come from. And the fact that a piece of what we teach in servant leadership is in the Bible, you know, still needs to be called out, but, but, but it is, you know, it's out there in front of it and it's based on where it is. We're not teaching the Bible itself. We're teaching the fundamentals, which is, which is very strong. All right. So anyway, the reason I, mm. you know, the, one of the biggest decisions to go to event builders to be even more demonstrative about what it is we're trying to accomplish in the way in which we would want to accomplish it. Okay. So to this day, that's still probably my uh, biggest takeaway of why I'm still very, very, uh, pleased with my decision and was very much at peace with my decision. Now, if you talk to some of my children and, you know, some of the other folks around me, uh, business colleagues, that type of thing, um, there's still a lot of um, um, thoughts that may not be in alignment with that. 
because of what it did both from a standpoint of career, you know, for a while, as well as financial position, as you mentioned, retirement. Uh, we, we sunk a lot of our retirement in it. I went pretty much unpaid for a, a great deal of time, and we put a significant, for us, a very significant portion of, you know, our own capital into this venture. Um, and it wasn't just from a faith base. It was actually a, 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 it was actually a going concern. Uh, but, you know, all of that at the end, if you, you scorecarded it on a financial position or career, uh, it would not score high. And uh, my children, you know, would remind <laughs> me of that. And, and so there were times, uh, as you mentioned, the hard times or whatever afterwards and times where I thought I had something maybe on the line, you know, during a period of trying to unwind that particular venture where I would be hopeful and it would be let down. But in, in hindsight, again, I mean, it's kind of interesting how you kind of revise history, I suppose, don't know, but circumstantially it was probably more, you know, what was driving my, you know, uh, response was less about the opportunity that I missed and more about circumstance, meaning uh, the world has a tendency to dictate uh, a lot more than it ought to as far as how you perceived uh, at the time, meaning we were financially, you know, you know, not in a good spot, making, having to make tough decisions. In hindsight, they probably weren't that tough if we weren't so selfish, but tough decisions, um, disappointment about, you know, not being able to, you know, continue on living the way we exactly lived before, those types of things. And so then when something would come up, I would deem that as the perfect opportunity, even if it wasn't. And if I lost it, then I'd be all, you know, you know sad about that. In hindsight, none of those opportunities mm. were even close to what my passion was. Some would, would have required me to do something I told myself I would not do, uh, you know, from, you know, what I was interested in. And yet I was considering them. Um, and so and then there was others that that I still felt like I did the right thing where they were wild opportunities. But I, you know, I had already decided that I didn't want to live in Singapore or I want and, and I turned those down, which I still to this day know is right. You know, so it's interesting. Circumstances kind of have a tendency and the world has a tendency to kind of jade that. But as as you go on and you stay focused and centered, you know, you kind of look back and you, you have a little bit clearer head. You know, it all had a reason. And, uh, you know, you know, it's it certainly and sometimes I just shake my head going, why the heck would I have been disappointed, you know, by not getting that particular opportunity? I mean, it's like now you shake your head the other way, you know. So it's interesting. So but I've had some, you know, very difficult financially. Let's just put it that way. And um, and and a lot of people questioning, you know, you know, um, to this day, I still feel like I'm trying to you present an example for my children, uh, but they'll come back and say, I still think you are nuts <laughs> uh, for, for augering in your retirement and for, uh, you know, all these things. And one of them seems to claim that he knew ahead of time that, the, you know, this particular offering was doomed to fail, which I'm not sure at his age how he could be so wise, but that's okay. <laughs> as far as finances go and one of the things i like what you said was like the world dictating more than it ought to um one thing that i personally struggle with is the balance of trying to be a good steward of the gifts that god has given me and therefore you know investing and preparing for the future um, and then balancing that with trusting God and his plan for our life. I believe that if I focus too much on security and investing in the future, uh, there is a possibility 
that I could end up not relying on God because I think or believe that I have kind of, um, you know, crossed all the, the boxes that I need to, to make sure that I never move backwards in life, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I know. I, I, I think the only thing I've been able to come up with us on this is, is that, that, uh, um, the only thing we can't do is overthink that question. <laughs> um, if if we get into the is this right or is this wrong? I mean, it, it, we we over you know I don't know, discernment's a great thing, but if you over discern, then you actually are taking it back into your own power. You know, I don't think you throw caution to the wind. I don't. I mean, so I don't have a great answer. I just know that 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 the times that I've over belabored something or just anguished uh, over you know anxiety over you know let's say professional situations personal situations you know that that god just keeps coming in and solving it and and the only part that i can't change is the fact that i lost two years of my life stressing about it okay that's the part that i'm trying to still <laughs> learn i mean i you know just you know i tell julie um just the other day that you know we had we had a patch just recently in this in our corporation and I, i'm responsible for revenue revenue wasn't going you know awesomely in the last two quarters and there was a couple pieces where not only was it not going awesomely i wasn't forecasting it properly and therefore it affects you know financially the company people's you know jobs all that kind of stuff very stressful and i had to put a presentation for the board together and i was just you know you know i'm you know going on 60 and, I, and i'm you know i'm basically in my opinion reverting back to my early 20s as far as my anxiety level stress blah 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 and you would think that over these years you'd gain all this wisdom and and so we had a great talk about how how could this possibly be this far along the road and it is really just still on a journey the real journey which is that journey that actually says i trust and it, and that one, I suppose, never ends. And so I, I, I just reversed it to less about what I needed to prepare and more about just letting go and trusting. And, and uh, as it does and has, has in the past, it's not an excuse for not doing what you have to do or being responsible. But it is really, really important to make sure that you understand that, you know, what what's going to happen is going to happen. And you cannot you cannot affect those types of things. And for my my life, I can tell you. If I could do it all over again, you asked that earlier, I would just really double down at an early age on how I could get a stronger faith. So Mm. that would be my, my. Yeah, that's the, uh, I can't remember. I've just had this, someone mentioned it a a month ago or so, and it's just kept coming up in my mind. But have you heard the quote, um, work as if everything depended on you and pray as if everything depended on God? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, there's lots of good ones. I like that one. I like that one. My dad, I mean, oversimplified everything, but he, he basically he says 98.9%, I don't know where he gets his number, 98.9% of all the things you worry about never happen. Yeah. And, mm. uh, you know, and, and it, it's been the case for me for sure. And then he says, and when you get that other percent that does happen, um, you know, God's there to help you out anyway. So it's kind of like, you know, why and why. Why, you know, hitch over the head because it never happens and why, because even when it does, you know, you got cover, but you know, it's just, you just, it just doesn't seem, you know, the world doesn't allow you to kind of get there easily. That's for sure. And that's what we all kind of talk about and pray for is wisdom. And, you know, but that's, that's kind of my circumstances is, is that it's really more about the, 
you know, the trust piece than it is the, you know, how you got through it and everything else. It's, it's that simple. Just, just, you know, and then now I leverage, as you mentioned, you know, these quote unquote hardships or whatever they may or may not been. And uh, sometimes it, it gets harder to leverage them because you realize you made a mountain out of a molehill anyway, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's so. funny. Um, have you, what have been as a, as a new father, um, mm-hmm. Ellie is only 15 or 16 months now. Um, what, what, uh, I don't know. I, I hate the word regret because I feel like it, it, everything's just a learning process and you wouldn't have some of the wisdom and knowledge and experience if you hadn't made those mistakes. But what things do you wish you would have known or you would have told yourself about being a dad in particular in the early fatherhood years for you? Probably you said it. I mean, I would probably, if I had to do it over again, I'd be, I'd have the wisdom to not regret anything. Um, because you're new, you don't know how to do it. Um, you know, you're not going to know how to do it. You're not going to have all the wisdom in the world to start it. You're not going to hear from somebody else how to do it, right? You got to do it yourself. But yet we spent a lot of time lamenting what I would do differently. Um, my bride and I talk about lots, uh, been to counseling a lot about how we parent differently. And there's a lot of power pointing backwards on things that we think uh, could have made our children's, you know, DNA better, personalities better, whatever, and, and their walk better, whatever. But it's filled with a lot of regret on things you cannot change. Um, and so for me, it's probably less about how, how the smart pieces I have now I would do differently and more about um, how what I would do really is not worry about how I did it and just keep trying to do my best. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's the uh, worrying and uh, regretting, I think, are two uh, things that are a big waste of time. They really, really, really are. Um, you know, and, I, and there's other people that will give you good wisdom on, you know, if I had to do it again, I'd probably do this. Or, you know, I do counsel people outwardly on, like my boss. My, he's, he's got uh, two children, um, and he's got one that's a decent athlete, kind of like, you know, kind of kind of your, your skill set from a basketball perspective. And, uh, you know, he's kind of going down the road of the club, this, that, and the other thing, three teams, kind of private trainer, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I would tell him I regretted, um, and I think Bradley and maybe even Shane would, would, would support me on this. I regretted that we did that route, that we, uh, you know, got them all up to their D1 scholarships, and then they ended up being burned out and didn't even take them, and, <laughs> um, and that they missed out on, uh, you know, some of the things that might have been more fun, more rounded. They missed out on a few things that I got to do when I was a kid that I, I talk about with great love and desire to be able to you know, look forward to all three sports and all three seasons. And I remember excitement, you know, for when football started. I remember excitement for when football ended because we were playing basketball and they never got to experience that. Um, and in my opinion, those are things that are tactical things that, that I still do, but they're not the big picture things, but I will counsel them say, I think, uh, I think you're missing out here. I, I wouldn't uh, jam them down one route. I wouldn't be buying them personal coaches. I wouldn't be, you know, it's just, it's, it's just not, uh, it's just not that helpful. So those mm. kinds of things I can, yeah, you know, I like a tactical that. one, but so I still do some of that. Natalie and I have talked about that and I, I feel like I've heard, maybe it's just the, the age of the people like our parents, her parents have said this, um, but just wanting, wishing that they would have introduced more life sports, 
uh, as opposed to, cause Natalie was also kind of a, uh, what's it called? The, like the AAU mm-hmm. type of for softball mm-hmm. and just basically their entire life from like age eight until well up to college and for Natalie through college, uh, was just sports, which is good. Um, but it was like to the extreme of no vacations, nope, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, no skiing, yeah. no, nothing, you know, well, and, and circumstances so, changed too. I mean, that's the part that sometimes I, you know, you gotta, you gotta watch out because by back in my day, we walked to school uphill both ways barefoot, you know? Um, <laughs> and I do that now. I mean, because quite frankly, I remember, I remember this vividly, but you know, I'm telling people not to do that, you know, what we did, you know, with our kids and everything else. But when I was growing up skiing, Gosh, we skied, we fished, we were in McCall. We spent three months a year in in in, uh, in Idaho. Uh, we'd leave, we you know, and uh, I ended up not playing baseball because I'd make the team and have to quit, you know, all that kind of stuff. But in this day and age, there really is a difference. Meaning, I still loved football, and I guarantee you, if I had the level of dedication I have today for football or whatever else, I I wouldn't be able to play three sports, and so it would require very tough decisions. We were allowed to have life sports. Hell, I mean, t- tell me whether your basketball coach, at least I know a Jesuit, they wouldn't. Your basketball coach is not going to let you ski. All right. So if. Right. Yeah. They can't actually not let you. Well, you're not going to play basketball. Just, they were, no. Yeah, exactly. You It would be a yes, very you poor would, decision. You would be cut. And they made that very known. <laughs> uh, for, for whatever reason, yes. they decided uh-huh. that you would be cut. Um, and so for me, it's it, uh-huh. I, I look at that and say, you know, if I'd been presented with those kinds of circumstances, I'm not sure what I would have done. So introducing life sports, great. But um, I'm not sure I would trade my experience for playing basketball for being introduced to the way in which I skied and raced. And mm. yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a, t- I don't, I'm not presented with those kinds of tough decisions. What I would say is the all year round personal coach, that I think is over the top. When you start getting into the area where you feel like you're adding 0.001% of physical attributes to an individual in order to give them that one last edge. I mean, that's, that's, that's over the top. I mean, kids either got it or they don't. There's nobody right. going to go play pro basketball because they went and played club. <laughs> right, I mean, right. you, you know, if you're Damian Lillard, you you, uh, yep. you have the skills to do it. And club might have made you slightly better in the NBA, but it's not going to make the difference whether they make the NBA. <laughs> right, right. So True. anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of physical things, especially in those basketball, football. Yep. There's um, a lot of God gifts. That, are, uh, there's a lot of things you yep, can't control. Yep. Anyway. Jumping into the last topic of retirement, um, what what is retirement for you? How do you define that? Yeah, um, don't know yet. I mean, again, it's something that I I guess I kind of alluded to throughout this conversation is that when I look backwards, what I thought I would you know be telling you now is different. All right, so. I may have had a vision of what I thought retirement is, but that has shifted, meaning, gee, I just wanted to, I remember when I was in high school, I just basically would say, hey, um, in those days, we actually had three-piece suits, and people say, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to wear a three-piece suit, carry a briefcase, and go to lunch. And that was my whole goal. And uh, then it became, you know, the classic in the yuppie years so, I want to drive really nice cars. I want to have really nice stuff. I want to have my Rolex. I want to have my, you know, and I and and I want to retire when I'm 40, you know, and and no one. You said the word uh, as as a target to show how you know successful you'd be as opposed to what the heck you would do when you retired. 
but then you get into your 40s and you say i just want these kids out of here and mm. uh, i want to do at least a decent enough job to support them as best i can so you're just myopically focused on making sure that you can provide a secure life for your family and retirement kind of disappears again and then you get in the time when they're in college and you start missing the fact that you know they're not around and you kind of wish they were at home and because that was kind of more fun than than work is anyway and and so retirement kind of goes well then I just have more time here without them. That's not very exciting. So trying to you know evolve that. And then you get into something that you are a little bit less um, interested in going after it hard. And, you know, some of the requirements of the rigor right now for me, especially from travel and everything else, I'm kind of going, boy, I kind of wouldn't mind having it be a little bit more on my terms. And so right now I would say retirement looks to me like, continuing to try and figure mm. out ways to add value and value meaning people matter most and uh, taking some of what may be wisdom, maybe just experience, don't know, could be the same thing and helping, you know, you know, these kinds of things you're talking about here or, or company boards or whatever. And, and but, but being in more control of, of that time, having more time to maybe do things that I may or may not do. I don't know. sounds good to me as far as what I want to be like as a human being, but doing more, you know, volunteer stuff, um, maybe even doing some more immersion programs like we did down in Mexico or, I mean, I feel like that's what sounds good and I did enjoy it. I don't know if I would do it. Um, I have to see if that's the case, but uh, retirement right now does not look like uh, what it looked like when I was in high school where I'd be either playing golf or fishing or doing things that, that I would think would bore the crap out of me now. So, right. Yeah. I think that's an, that is something that I, um, I don't know. I, I think about, and I'm in talking to a number of different people on the podcast, it's interesting the amount of emphasis that, uh, and I feel like honestly, and maybe it's just in my world, but there's less emphasis on retiring. Um, and there's more an emphasis on just trying to create the life that you want uh, because um, and starting to do more of those things now as opposed to waiting until yeah. a magical like time when all I of agree. a sudden you uh, whatever, you know, like, oh, I can finally never go to work again ever. But that's not fun. Like yeah. work, work hopefully well, is and, fun. And, and- and I think you're right. I think the one thing I would pick on a little bit, because I think I do this, I think what you said there, it resonates really well. Um, you know, you know, pick the life or go towards the life you want. At the same time, I think what I'm trying to learn is that's what I've tried to do and it keeps changing. What I need to figure out is the life that God wants me to lead. And now, and because I look out there and I go, mm, there's a lot of folks that will use the, hey, I'll never retire because I would get bored. And blah, blah, blah. that's kind of a soundbite because mm. um, I've seen people who I find to be really, I don't know, peaceful, happy, joy, joyful, you know, content, fulfilled, um, that literally are doing nothing. And, uh, you know, does that mean they're lazy? Does that mean they're not driven? Does they, I don't think so. I think it's just they're at peace with themselves. I mean, um, you know, I look at um, Debbie and Ron, uh, my uh, sister-in-law and brother-in-law. Um, Ron uh, retired, uh, well, I don't know, five years now ago, I guess. So he was 55. He's the exact same age I am. And you know, really didn't have much to retire on, but they're very humble in how they live and everything else. And I figure, well, what's he going to do? I mean, he's going to get up in the morning and piddle around or whatever, maybe kind of work in his shop, kind of not. You know, that would drive me nuts. And, you know, and, and, and he's 
peaceful and he's happy. He, he, you know, umpires in the summer. He really doesn't have much to do. And I'm sure there's times where he's bored, but he's coming across extremely peaceful and content. And that's being right with God and, and what it is he has you to do. And some people um, arguably are wired for God to just be on it all time, maybe. Don't know. Um, but I think there's another side of it that says it's, it's less about designing something for what you want and, and maybe trying to understand what God wants you to do. Cause there's those, he might tap on the shoulder and say, no, you ain't done yet. You know? Mm. And I really believe that's why, and I, I learned that lesson from my bride. I mean, she, she really put her heart and soul into raising five kids. And, and God said after the last, you know, couple, you know, got down to the final stretch, I need you back, you know, making a difference in these areas. I know you want to rest, but, you know, I need you back. And so I watch what she's doing in, at Valley right now and, 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 and how that, you know, little pebble in the pond is rippling out and making, you know, changing lives. And I'm going, man, you know, you really are demanding, but wow, it, it, it makes a difference. And so I'm watching. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that's something that, that God will have me do, or maybe I'll be just kicking back and supporting how she can make sure that she can continue to do that for herself. Don't know which it'll be, but she's uh, definitely changed my perspective on what we ought to be doing. Cause she's not going to slow down. She's going to ramp up because she's being called and it's not a, it's not a choice. I mean, it's just, she's making a difference and she's got to keep listening to what God's asking her to do. So hers is a little bit more noble in my opinion. Right. Right. It's, it's not trying to make cash so you can fund a lifestyle. It's trying to make time so you can change lives. It's a big difference. Right. No, I like that. I think that's a good reminder for um, that. I can't remember who told me this, but basically before you, everyone, you know, prays for God to show you what it is he wants you to do. But there's this priest I was talking to that said, uh, you need to first, before you pray that prayer, you need to pray that God gives you the desire to want to do what he wants you to do. Because oftentimes we, uh, we find like, we probably know or have a better idea of what we're supposed to do than we want to admit. We just don't want to do it. <laughs> At least that's how I am. I, I, yeah, like, and, I and admit what those conversations are. Yep. Yep. You and my bride, you're very similar in the sense that I don't even, I'm still working to get the relationship where I recognize that's God, you know? Yeah. Um, that's you know, where, not, yeah, I, you know, I'm but, in the same place. But she'll, she'll literally, you know, in the middle of something, you know, we'll be sitting there, she'll go, really, really? I mean, you're going to make me do that. I so don't want to do that, you know? And I'll go, what are you talking about? And she'll tell me what's going on. I go, don't do that. That's a pain. I mean, why would you do that? You know? And she's going, because I don't want to, it's the right thing to do. And I think about it and, and then she goes, I hate when he does this to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then she'll, and then she goes off and does the right thing. And it's the right thing. Obviously it's me. It's taking my sound bite, do the right thing. Right. And, and just kind of walk in the walk because she's in tune with what God has asked. And mm. I tell you, I've never seen, and I'm sure she's made decisions that, you know, went against what God's will was and all that for sure. Tons of them. We're all sinners, but as the scorecard goes, she's kicking butt. Um, she uh, really does make hard decisions when she's just not, does not have the desire. So the prayer you're talking about that that priest talked about, I guarantee she was blessed with that because, you know, she will, you know, desire would probably be a strong word, but she does do it. <laughs> right, right. She does the hard thing. She does do the hard thing. So uh, last several questions. Are you happy with yeah. where you are right now? 
Uh, well, tactically, probably not uh, in the sense that I'm, I'm just really tired of traveling. Um, but back to that conversation we just had, I, I think God says you're not done. Um, I do believe that despite some of the setbacks and everything else, I can see things from a business aspect right now where I'm actually making a difference, um, where I think I need to continue to make a difference. And so I got to pick myself up, dust myself off. There's personal stuff that also makes me you know, anxious not to travel so much. Julie, the kids, things around that. So I'm constantly you know, trying to make sure that I'm praying and, 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 and that I'm not just doing what I think, but I'm still getting messages and thoughts that, that I got to keep doing it. But if I would design the world's term, you know, am I happy with doing what I'm doing? I would say I'm still anxious about um, not, tr- you know, you know, from a personal standpoint and a comfort standpoint, I, I, I would say the world would say I'm kind of anxious, so that's not happy, but I'm peaceful about the fact that I'm still doing the right thing. Gotcha. Okay. That's a common, that's a complex, uh, answer that it's I weird. It's about. a weird answer. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And, and because, and, and, and because I'm being transparently, you know, um, you know, transparent with you on the fact that uh, it's a battle, you know, I'll wake up and say, why am I doing it? It's kind of like what I said with my bride. Um, she's much more assured that she's doing it. I'm still working on that part. Um, I think with that that assurance, it gives you even more peace. But you know, I I, I do uh, uh, I do a lot of you know, am I doing this for me or am I doing it for you guys? I mean, you know, there's still a lot of that going on. Um, I don't know that it'll ever go away, but uh, I am starting to feel more confident that the, that I'm I'm actually doing less of my will and more of his will. And as long as I'm gaining on that, I think I'm winning. Awesome. I like that. So last, uh, just recommendations, what books, uh, or do you have any book recommendations that you, um, are favorites or that you've maybe recently read? It doesn't need to be the best of all time, but just books that you found impactful. Fatal flaw of mine. I don't read much. (laughs) (laughs) I can recommend good books that I know that have impacted other people, but um, wouldn't be a first-hand recommendation other than the Bible. Um, so we, uh, uh, what I would say is, uh, my recommendation is um, um, once a day, minimally, uh, and we do we we read it twice a day, and you know, small verses, whatever. But we're using you know, little th- tools like uh, Jesus Calling, where you know you read the verse, whatever. But uh, you know, we minimally. Uh, pray twice a day uh where we also do you know adoration now but so we'll wake up and we'll bring out jesus calling read the day's uh, message um and then read the the actual readings associated with that and then at night time there's there's another one that says uh, before i go to bed the same thing so we read that so probably you know it's not enough but probably about 30 minutes a day uh, we do together as a husband and wife in prayer and the bible's involved in that so I would say the Bible. Movies. What is what is your favorite movie of all time? Okay, so I used to. Uh, it was easy for me to say, and then it got hard for me to say. Now it's easy again. But anyway, uh, my favorite movie growing up was. Uh, it was embarrassing at a certain point to say, so I stopped saying it. But was the uh, um, Mary Poppins. Okay. Ah. Second favorite, just because of you know, brought me you know, kind of peace and joy was probably because uh, I love musicals. So I um, so Sound of Music, but. 
but Mary Poppins was my all-time favorite as a kid, and then I kept saying it, and then I got old adult, and it was kind of embarrassing as a business guy to say that. And then, but my <laughs> wife knew it was my favorite movie, and you know all this kind of stuff. And so I kind of drifted away from it. So there's because there's other movies I kind of really dug, you know, that were kind of you know I loved. Remember the Titans? I watched it ten thousand times. I, you know, those kinds of you know those you know the the roadies. I love that stuff. You know, there's a bunch of those. So I love all those. But so I just recently saw both the making of Mary Poppins and then the, the remake of Mary Poppins. And then I went back and watched the original Mary Poppins and I realized it's still my favorite. And the reason mm. now it's back to being my favorite again is it's kind of, kind of what I kind of oversimplify want to be like meaning, you know, went through a period where, you know, kind of had a thought of what it was all about. Um, wanted to raise kids. I had thoughts on what that looked like. Um, had my path, had whatever, I used to call it my edge. Julian, I used to beat the crap out of her and say, hey, you know, when I married you, I lost my edge. My edge was just, you know, I lost being an <laughs> asshole, you know. Stopped being a jerk and start, you know, start being so self-centered. But anyway, so if you watch the movie, it's about that journey almost. It's like the guy got a little lost, had his routine, had his thing. Unbeknownst to himself, he started to be a bit of a crank and a grouch and wasn't adding any value. Was, you know, maybe adding value maybe to the bank uh, to a degree, but he just lost touch with life and was not making a real difference and and then all huck breaks loose and he kind of pushed back a little bit um and it turns out to be you know all in the end for the betterment you know it's just the happy joy joy of hollywood but um but it actually is kind of the walk that i've been on and i just thought you know, maybe that's something that got in my heart when i was watching it as a kid is that it was kind of my life story and a little bit of a cute musical so i love that um i don't i don't think i mentioned this to you before but you've seen or have you looked up movies on IMDb? IMDb I don't even know what that is. No. See ratings. So there's a website and it just has user ratings on movies uh-huh. out of 10. Um, so anyways, because I get like your Rotten Tomatoes thing or something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's just another Rotten Tomatoes. But uh, the, um, the thing is, because I get so many recommendations and there's so many movies to watch, mm. I over t- testing this over several years. I've come up with 7.3 is the cutoff where if the movies are below a 7.3, I won't watch it um, unless the person that recommends it swears that it's, that it's going to be worth my time and I'm going to enjoy it in which case I will. But then if I don't like it, I never take another recommendation from that person again. So Mary Poppins, that's a classic, obviously 7.8, but I have not, I think I saw it a long time ago, but I just based on what you're saying, I'm thinking oh, I probably should add that to the watch list. Natalie loves the movie, and she went and saw the second one and said the second one or the newest one. She said she didn't like it as much. Yeah, um, no one would. And, but you know, and again, you know, I, I was sitting there going, "Okay, I get it. It's a continuation on it." You know, yeah. So you know, sequels aren't any good. But anyway, yeah, go watch the original one with an open mind. Um, it's certainly not going to be one of those ones you go, "Wow, this is brilliant." <laughs> <laughs> right right anyway but it does have a good it does have a good imdb score and it's usually well, pretty reliable it's above 7.3 it's probably gonna you might not watch it again and again but you're gonna be like yeah it was worth my time exactly so anyways um how can people get in touch with you what's your preferred method of contact if someone has a question or wants to reach out and say something uh probably email pretty simple nintux uh is the you know is the uh dot com piece and you just mark dot richards that's all there is to it oh mark dot richards at nintex.com yep. just my name with a dot in the middle 
Gotcha. Okay. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I will uh, see you around sometime in the near future. Maybe next time you guys are down at um, in Central Oregon area. Yep. But um, yeah, I just I enjoyed the conversation and thank you for uh, for giving me an hour and a half of your time. Awesome, buddy. All right, we'll talk soon. All right, thank you all for listening. As I mentioned before, you can find us on Instagram. I post little clips and quotes from the various episodes. You can also visit the website, chriskiefer.net. Feel free to shoot over any questions or ideas you have for upcoming episodes. And again, I thank you for your attention and look forward to sharing our next conversation with you. You are listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people.